filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. That is, an, there's an SNL skit where they do, um, it's 20,000 leagues under the sea, but the, everyone except Captain Nemo does not understand what a league is. And so the skit is him desperately trying to explain to them what it is. And they, they finally sort of get that it's a unit of measure. And that's how it ends, is that he's very <laughs> pleased. And then a, uh, the giant octopus ends up breaking through and, and snatching him up and taking him away. Excellent. Yes, yes, that's it. it's, a, it's a unit of measure. Someone, uh, Phil Hartman does that in a, um, uh, what's the guy's name? Troy McClure? No, 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 um, uh, Charlton Heston. (laughs) He's doing a Charlton Heston impression and he says, 20,000 leagues later. Um, (laughs) at this point, he's pulled a chalkboard out and is trying to explain to them the difference between leagues and time. I just realized 20,000 leagues under the sea does not refer to a depth of 20,000 leagues. No, it's a distance. It's a distance go, traveled under the wall. Yes. Yeah. They go 20,000 leagues of distance under the sea, which is what the whole point of the skit is that the characters do not understand what that is. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined, as always, by Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. Uh, well above the water. Uh, we are all from blackandredunited.com. We write about DC United, MLS, uh, US soccer more generally. Uh, tonight we've got basically a one topic show. There'll be a little bit of a, of another sadder topic, but almost the entire show will focus on last week's MLS super draft up in Baltimore. Uh, before we talk about that though, we have to do this every week. It is our tradition. Ben Bromley, just back from the Outer Banks. What are you drinking? So I'm drinking a beer from Richmond's famed Hardywood Park Craft Brewery. It's called Give Bach, and uh, proceeds from this beer go to the local food bank. It's just a uh, standard German Bach, and it's got a decently high ABV, 6.5, and it's it's nice. And Tell me the... Charity. the- Tell me the description on on the can there. It says, uh, good beer, good cause, terrible pun. Uh, I, I wish. I can read you the... I, I, I can either read you what's around the top of the can or the uh, pretentious description. If it didn't, if it doesn't say what I just made up, I, I, I honestly don't really the care pretent- that much. The pretentious description starts, autumn russet in color. Okay, Jason, what are you there. drinking? <laughs> uh... Earlier I was out, um, I have, uh, I got a growler for Christmas, so I figured I'd put it to good service. Um, I went to the nearest Gordon Biersch because I was in Annapolis and there is one there and it's the, it's not the nearest place I can get a growler filled, but it was the one that was on my path tonight. Um, I wanted to get their Winterbach. They were out. They had tapped the keg earlier or kicked the keg earlier. Um, I moved to the Schwartz beer. They were also out of that. So I ended up with their, uh, parts unknown IPA which is really, really piney. 
uh, up front. It's it's pretty aggressive, but it's not over hopped. It's just got a really really strong pine flavor, but it's still pretty good. Um, it's not exactly twenty degrees outside winter beer though. Um, but I guess everyone had the same idea I did and drank all their winter bot. So I went with a drink appropriate for the weather without depending on Gordon Biersch to come through mm-hmm. for me. Um, I, I have a, a hot toddy of sorts. It's green tea, whiskey, and lemon. How is that? I, it, it works. Also, it, what kind it, of green it, tea? Uh, Harris Teeter Traders green oh. tea. So standard green tea. Standard green tea, hot green tea, out, brewed out of a bag, uh, with hot water off the out of the kettle, and then but put not, whiskey and but some not lemon juice. Sencha or hujicha or no, no, you're the only fancy tea drinker here, Ben. I might be this the fancy true. booze drinker. You are the fancy tea drinker. This is true. I almost made a similar hot toddy, but mine would have been with a lemon ginger tea. Mm. Um. Mm. Yeah, Otherwise, mine, the same. Yeah, mine. I think it probably could have used some cinnamon or or cloves or star anise, something mm-hmm. spicy to kind of give it a little bit, kind of tie the flavors together. But um, other than that, it it it's fine. It's not not the best drink I've ever made, but it's fine for something I threw together on a you freaking have, cold night. You should have made a gin panias. I've been uploading all of our past episodes to the Internet Archive and. Going back through some of the drinks, like the gin panias, has been fun. Yeah, the did you did you write them all down in a spreadsheet for our Wikipedia page? No, that would be something Jason would do. <laughs> um, or a listener, if a listener wants to compile every drink in show history, that would be a project for which we would be immensely grateful. And then I don't know what we would do with it, but no, it would be awesome. It, it would be hard to actually, I guess we could run some sort of statistical analysis and see who has had the most gin and who has had the most uh, bourbon. Well, the most gin is obviously Adam. Although maybe, yeah. gin, maybe if you go by like gin per episode, maybe it's Martin. <laughs> Martin he, no, Martin does Martin, not like Martin. gin at all. Oh, we were, we were going to just play with it. Just say Martin is a fame. Right. That's what I was going for, Jason. No. Well, I was also going to object to the... I, I don't know that it's so sure that Adam's had the most gin. We should probably get into the episode. I don't know. Someone, I, I'm, I'm enjoying this. this up and solve this problem for us. Yes, indeed. I'm, I am enjoying this unknowable argument more than I'm going ben, to enjoy our Ben's next controversial topic. judgment. Yes, which I don't think is that controversial. I think I have had probably more gin than anyone on the show. I don't know. <laughs> Jason's had the most hot gin. Yes. Uh, well, clearly. <laughs> We're just throwing back and referencing old drinks now. Yeah. Oh, the man. spreadsheet for entry will that will say hot gin <laughs> one. It'll be sad. One with a frowny face next to it. <laughs> All right. Speaking of frowny faces, yes, I love a good segue. Bill Hamid is going to be out of commission for about 12 weeks here following his latest meniscus surgery. Um, he went in, he, I guess, injured it during off-season workouts, reported the national, national team camp in California, nevertheless, and the doctors examined him there and said, yeah, you got to get this fixed. Um, during the season last year, he had his meniscus, I think, shaved. It was a relatively minor procedure that knocked him out for about four weeks. This seems to have been a more comprehensive procedure that will 
keep him out for at least three months or so. Jason, um, any thoughts on on Bill Hamid's latest, I guess, injury setback is what you could call it. Hopefully he comes out 100% from it and has no more flare-ups. Uh, but at the very least, he's probably not going to be around for the, the start of the year. Yeah, I mean, the, the, t- the recovery table would point to mid-April. It, we're talking about like six regular season games plus the in- almost the entire or the entire Champions League run. I mean, they'd have to go to the final, uh, which, I mean, going to the final with Bill Hamid is already pretty unlikely given that all, all four uh, Mexican teams got through. Um, doing it without him is, uh, it's like climbing Mount Everest to find at the top of Mount Everest, there is a second Mount Everest. You have to continue climbing. Um, it's going to be really difficult. And I, I, I do worry about this team because over the last few years, we've seen, they start really well. They get, uh, points under their belt very early and they ride that momentum for a long time. Um, conversely in the seasons where they haven't started very well, things, they just never get off the ground. Um, this team more than most MLS teams seems to need that early season momentum to get that belief going. Um, and this isn't a team, uh, that really has big margins, uh, for error. So, um, you take Hamid out of a game and you're, you're, you're almost in a lot of games last season, at least you're taking away, like you're giving the opponent a goal essentially because there's saves that he can make that. It's not that Andrew Dykstra or Travis Wara or anyone else they might bring in are bad, um, but they can't make the same saves he can. Um, pretty much no goalkeeper in the league can do what Bill Hamid can do. And he's he's DC United's game changer. He's We don't have Giovinco. We have Bill Hamid. Um, and if he's out for that long, they have to find a way to really mitigate the number of shots they're facing. The team defending is going to have to be excellent. Um it does kind of give them something to aim their preseason prep at because they need to be ready to do that for the first few weeks of the season. They need to be ready to just not give up many chances, period, uh, regardless of who's in goal. Um, but it is concerning because, you know, last year, as comfortable as it was making the playoffs, we, you know, United was still only a few points ahead of sixth place in the end. Um, and, the, you know, the a lot of the teams in the East, actually, we were – uh, talking about this on the MLS channel of all the SB Nation blogs, uh, Slack, the, yeah, just today. Um, a lot of the teams have regressed or treaded water, but they're still the the bad teams aren't going to be as bad. Most likely, they they all appear to be slightly better, except maybe um, Colorado. Well, that, but we don't have to compete with them, thankfully, oh, true, uh, or yes. unthankfully. It would be awesome if we could get an extra game or two against the Rapids. Well, and if uh, Chicago signs Vidic, that would be amazing. Um, but, you know, the, the East is going to be just as much of a, you know, a ridiculous, sloppy uh, fight to get over the line, just like last time. The crew and the Red Bulls are comfortable. And then after that, everyone else has some sort of major problem. Um and it's it's a little nerve wracking because I don't we don't know that the attacking improvements the team has made in the midfield on the wings will make up for you know being more susceptible in goal for that those first six weeks more as of now more susceptible through central midfield so um, it's definitely not it, it's got me nervous it's got me nervous because it's going to be a close a close thing and 
you know, we might the, the points lost in those first six games. If if they can't come up with a way to protect their protect the goal from even being shot at, the points lost may be points that we really look back on. So rather than dwelling on this for the rest of the show, we're going to spend the rest of the show getting really into last week's super draft. We have a lot of audio from Thursday. Uh, while I was up there, I managed to talk to Julian Boucher and Paul Klaus. Those names should be familiar for anyone paying attention because they are DC United's picks. Uh, I talked to Ben Olson. I talked to Russ Thaler, formerly of Comcast Sportsnet, and then uh, formerly of uh, NBC Sports work. And, and now uh, he was kind of, he was anchoring MLS's live stream and did a lot around MLS cup and the MLS cup playoffs for MLS soccer.com. I talked to Travis Clark and Charlie Bohm of top soccer.com and Kevin and McCauley of SB nation. And I had a nice conversation on our drive home to DC um, driving while podcasting. It's, it's the future you guys. Uh, before we, you know, really get into the audio, though, I figured you guys should should get on the record with your thoughts uh, on Buescher and Klaus. Ben, what do you make of DC United's haul from the first two rounds? I mean, I think it's fairly obvious that central midfield is a key place where DC United needs to improve. That all the rumors have them uh, picking up. Uh, or targeting multiple central midfielders of various stripes in the international market. And they're drafted the same with Perry Kitchen all but gone, with Dave Yarno still up in the air as to if he's going to be able to play next season, with Marcus Halstead, Jared Jeffrey, Colin Martin, all various different degrees of question marks. I mean, at time, at, especially near the end of the season, DC United central midfield got a little overrun and they know they need to shore that up. And especially in the formation they play. And so having a lot of different options who can play different variations on a central midfielder is just going to give Ben Olsen and Chad Ashton and all of them lots to work with uh, in the preseason. And then once the actual season comes to start, Jason, does do either of these guys figure to to slot in for major minutes or even to to start right now if the season were to start today without any new signings? Uh Buescher potentially has the chance to do that. Um he certainly he adds an element that United hasn't had in the past couple of years. Uh I I've seen him described as uh you know, a brilliant passer, a um, great passer. We shouldn't confuse that for someone like um, Moro Diaz or any, uh, you know, Diego Valeri. That's not really what he is. Um, he's going to play in a deeper spot uh, than those guys. He's not really a playmaker. Or he's not really a number 10. Um, but he's really, really good at opening the field up. And now that United has some speed on the wings, um, that becomes a really enticing option for him if he's able to come to collect the ball off the defense and then spray the ball wide to the right or to the left side. Um, that really opens things up for United and it allows, it makes it a lot easier for the forwards who don't really have a lot of speed uh, to do their job. It, it really potentially is going to make the whole attack better. Um, there are the que- the question mark over Buescher is how much ground is he going to cover? Is he going to be um, 
is he going to it's not so much a work rate question question is he just not one of those guys that um runs and runs and runs and you notice how much he's running all the time um a little like Marcus Halstey there's a little bit of a more uh I, w- I don't want to say stationary approach but he's just not going to be covering every blade of grass um I do kind of wonder with if Halstey's still here I don't know that you can play both of them at the same time um they both kind of Buescher is going to add more um in terms of his passing range and his vision than Halstey does, but Halstey does that too, um, to a certain extent. If you have two guys that can't really cover a lot of ground and they both kind of do the same thing with the ball, it's it's a redundancy that you can't really get away with in a four four two. If there's a formation change, um, some sort of four five one, you'd have to look at Chris Rolf playing, and then then you're choosing to start a rookie over someone like Lamar Nagel or Patrick Niarko. Those guys, one of those guys is sitting so that Buescher can be the third central midfielder. I don't think that's going to happen straight away. Um, but uh, I do think he's going to, he's probably going to play more than Miguel Aguilar um, in, in this season. And, and part of that is out of need. Now let's say Leonardo Gill uh, gets signed and the mysterious player from France gets signed um, and they're both good. Then he probably won't play much more than Aguilar, but as things stand today, um, with no other signings coming in, he'll probably play. He would probably be in the running to start, especially with Davy Arnaud's career up in the air. Um, I still think United needs to do something about finding a runner in central midfield. Um, hopefully, that's one of the signings is coming in is is someone that's just going to cover a lot of ground and and um, be the ball winner, so to speak. But um. Buescher, it, there's a good chance that he plays quite a bit because he he is up to the job. It's just a matter of is his partner the right partner, is his, the formation the right formation, that sort of thing. All right, well let's throw it over to yes me um, back on Thursday on the the draft floor. I, I talked to Russ Thaler just before things got started, and we'll we'll leave it there. I've just ducked behind a curtain here with Russ Thaler, who is going to be emceeing the event for the live stream. Russ, how you doing? I'm doing great. Looking forward to uh, what appears to be an exciting draft, especially in the first round. We're hearing all sorts of talk about trades and, and yeah, stuff already like that. one yeah. of them has has come through Colorado and L.A. In L.A. Yeah. Late late last night, a 2:30 a.m. <laughs> transaction. Yeah, I wonder if that was on their way into Baltimore, or if they got together at the hotel bar <laughs> under the cloak of darkness. Yeah, things things exactly. happen. But L.A. was set to have like their highest draft pick. And I don't know how long, and now here they are. They're they're out of the first round. Yeah, and they're a team that actually drafts pretty well, so I'm a little surprised. But that, but they need Tam. Uh, I guess they do because <laughs> they have a lot of moves apparently in the works. They need some targeted allocation money, and uh, they got it from Colorado. I don't know how much, but I'm going to expect that it was a, a good deal. One would assume. Yeah. So uh, you've done drafts before. How does this? Yeah. The, the buzz for this one compared to previous years? You know, it's interesting because this draft doesn't seem to be as deep, or at least the way people are talking about it, as deep. But at the top, between Yarrow and Harrison being the one and two, and Vincent maybe being three, somewhere one of those guys is going to be the number one pick in the draft. And it seems like you have, those are the three where I would say that most people think can step right in and play in MLS right away. And then when you look past that, it's going to be more about development. And they're picking guys who they think they can develop over a year or two. And look, we've had a lot of guys in this league. Dom Dwyer is like the prime example. Graham Zussi is another one. Guys who were either not drafted or drafted very low, who took a couple years to develop and became 
huge stars yeah, in Jeff major leagues. Jeff Cameron's another one, right? Yeah. So I think in that sense, you have to pay attention to all of these names. There just isn't that name at the top of the list, and a lot of that has to do with homegrown players, it's really right? Neat. I Absolutely. mean, and a lot of the homegrown players. The Red Bulls signed six homegrown yeah. players before this draft. So a lot of guys who maybe would have been in the draft in years prior without this homegrown system. Yeah, and there are a couple of guys in the top five probably today who had claims on them that didn't come through. Right, exactly. And that's another thing. You, you, you get a guy like Harrison who, mm-hmm. you know, who, who played, NYCFC was trying to get him, and, and, and MLS was like, no, 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 no. That's a little bit too tangential to be, <laughs> to, to be doing this. But it's re- it, the whole thing is fascinating to me because the rules keep changing every year. Um, and I actually, I find that part of the allure of Major League <laughs> Soccer because it's like watching a baby grow into a toddler, grow into a young, you know, a young child and then an older child because we're watching the league grow in front of our eyes and trying to keep up with all that is actually part of the fun. Yeah, so you're a D.C. guy going way back. Uh, yeah, I, I first started covering the league, covering D.C. United in 2001. Yeah, we're obviously a D.C. United podcast. Yep. Any predictions for that number 13 spot? Oh, gosh. I don't know who's <laughs> going to be around. You know, look, I would say, and, and I think people who are following the team, I think you'll be looking at maybe the best defensive midfielder around with Davey Arno's health issues and his, and his advancing yeah. age and Perry Kitchen's uncertain status with the team. I would think um, Boucher, um, the German kid. Yeah, it would would be a, a guy out of Syracuse. Out of Syracuse, uh, would be a guy if he's available. I could see DC United really wanting him. In fact, I could see DC even trading up to make sure they get him because he's probably the best defensive midfielder in this draft class, and DC needs that. All right. Anything else you want to throw on the record before we we get out of here? No. Just a hello to all of my DC United folks <laughs> from way back in the day. Look, I'm not here if not for the Screaming Eagles and Bar Brava taking me in. And everyone around D.C. United at the time teaching me the game of soccer, including Dave Johnson and Thomas Rangan, who was the coach. And, mm-hmm. you know, and it goes to John Harks and Santino Carando, who's now, you know, was doing the games with, with Dave Johnson. Name-dropping. Now no, I'm name-dropping because these are the people who <laughs> taught me soccer. That's why. So and, and so they deserve to have their names said because I'm not here without them. Uh, and, you know, if they drop my name, it means nothing. But their <laughs> names mean a lot. So it's great. It's awesome. And uh, enjoy. And that's it. Yeah, thanks a lot. Vamos United. DC was that a little bit. I mean, I hope they go there. It's awesome to go into DC. It's not a bad city at all. So, and um, the coaching staff was really great to me. So, I really appreciate them then changing the, um, the draft pick and trusting me and taking me. How would you describe your role at Syracuse and what you might think it will be at the next level? Um, I'm a box-to-box guy, a creative guy who likes to dictate the rhythm of the play, and I hope I can do that for DC. What's your with your German background? What you were in clubs? Youth yeah, clubs? youth clubs. Yeah. You were with. Uh, I played with Falva Bochum and Preußen Münster. One is actually a second Bundesliga team over there, and the other one a third division team. Uh, pretty high level in Germany. Um, where you have to fight through as well in the third division for sure, and uh, a lot of good players with technical ability. Where I think I can help the team with with that as well. Did you um, Did you consider going back to Germany? No. I um, get so many open doors here over time. I played here, and it goes in a really good direction. I'm pretty happy about that, and hope I have a couple more years to go here. So, what do you know about DC and DC United at this point? That's an awesome club, and uh, it's a great city, and uh, actually a great coaching staff. And that's the 
the greatest part, I think, to have someone who trusts you and believes in you. And um, going from there makes it a little bit easier. Everything today pretty much a blur? What? Is everything today pretty much a blur? Yeah. You're just saying, yeah, everything is excited. Everything comes up to you. This whole event is fast for the players. It makes us awesome. We're all excited. And... Uh, yeah, just try to enjoy every single moment as good as you can. Right, would, you, um, would you emulate uh, when you were younger in German, in German football? Uh, I probably always look to the creative spirit to Spain like in yes sense players like that um, Germany always gives you the work ethic all the players are disciplined over there so like Bastian Schweinsteiger like learning from those guys and try to be like those guys sorry if I missed this earlier for people who haven't perhaps seen you play what would you describe as your strengths as a player and the qualities um, you bring like a box to box guy who's technical and dictates the rhythm of the game um, Benny mentioned he, he could see you a little higher up the field. Is that yeah. all you're comfortable in as well? I played that at Syracuse uh, most of the time. I switched between all those positions. So wherever I have the best opportunity to play, I go there. What are your expectations for yourself in your first season with DC United? Get as much playing time as possible. And I'm um, looking forward to that. Trying to give my best to the team. Just work hard and learn from the other guys. Have you been to DC before? Not yet but that makes it even more interesting. I am here now with Charlie Bohm and, and Travis Clark talking about the correct pronunciation of D.C. United's newest draft pick, Julian Bircha. Bircha. Butcher. 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 What do you guys think of the pick? Uh, I'm amazed that uh, that some pre draft predictions actually came true. Um, I he was on the board when uh, when we when DC drafted in top drawers uh, mock draft, and he looked like the best player available to me. And a lot of people didn't think he'd still be around that late in real life, and he was. Uh, so that's a surprise. It's also a surprise that um, Ben Olsen, I think, um, made that pick because yeah, he's the best player available, but he's going to bring a different look if he's getting regular minutes next year, and it's going to could conceivably lead to a very different DC United, a more fluid, more ball-friendly DC United, and uh, I think that's a good thing for the club. But it's a new challenge for Olsen and and the teammates, of the players he's already got. Yeah, I think it it addresses an obvious need when you look at Perry Kitchen more than likely heading out the door with the central midfielder. He's probably a box-to-box, adds a little creativity, played a little more advanced for Syracuse's pass ball, but was a little bit deeper as a freshman. So, you know, you got a lot of good things working there. The question is, you know, can he handle the central midfield duties in a 4-4-2 if the, if, if the United, I almost said that, if United trots that out again in the upcoming season, oh, I, that's totally fine. We can keep this all in. This is right from the draft floor. You know, I think it, it could serve them pretty well but like Charlie said you know you got to have a team focus more on retaining the ball rather than uh, l- looking to go a little bit more direct a little bit more long because that's not going to uh, really fit this guy's needs he's not going to be you know in and around the box necessarily looking to get on long balls but you know keeping the ball moving keeping possession but he'll need to show he can pr- he can provide that grit and that bite that Benny loves so much in the midfield another another thing to watch for this coming season I already talked about it with Sebi Salazar briefly just now uh, United do not look like a 4-4-2 team right now and I don't think that at this pick, and I don't think that some of their other acquisitions are 4-4-2 type players. So uh, be interested to see if Olsen breaks away from that formation that he's kind of been really addicted to as a head coach. Yeah, he's always he has experimented with some more progressive formations every year, Leadingly. at least once. Leadingly. Yeah. Leadingly. I do think that a 4-2-3-1 would suit Boucher, Butcher, or Absolutely. whatever his name is a lot better. He's ties to Germany, so Google him if you want to learn more about him, <laughs> United fans. <laughs> so... 
What are we going with for the pronunciation? Uh, Boucher. I think it's going to be Boucher. I agree with Charlie. That's usually a good thing to do. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Travis Clark and Charlie Bohm from ChopDrawerSoccer.com. A couple of midfielders out of this draft? Yeah. Um, you know, Paul's a guy we like from the start of this combine, and he, you know, he feels uh, he feel, feels a need right now. And, uh, you, know, you know, he's a very good passing uh, number six, uh, and we're looking forward to seeing him in camp. And, uh, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, again, he fits in with the group and does a good enough job to, to make an impact to, to, to be on the team. You mentioned the combine. Was he on your radar before, or did he really just stand out? Well, I mean, you, you know, Syracuse um, was on a lot of people's radars, right? I mean, they're, they're one of the better teams in the um, uh, in the country this year. So, you know, everybody knew, knew their players coming in. Uh but again, you know, a uh, real technical player uh, understands how to play the position. Always looking, playing forward. Uh, uh, we we like his range of passing. Uh, it, it, physically, he's better than people give him credit for. So we'll see. I, again, I, we we um, uh, we we high hopes, but uh, again, these these kids have to come in the preseason and. and uh, prove that they're they're, uh, they're worth it, but I think he's he's going to be a good player. Good. A little off topic, but like, um, do you have an update on Bill's status after his surgery? Nope, just that he had surgery. So we'll give you a time frame shortly. Uh, you know, you know, teams like to hold on to these forever. <laughs> It was up to me. I'd tell you guys. I just throw shit at you guys. You know, I wouldn't even it care if it's true. No if it was true or not, I would just throw stuff. Out. I, don't, I, don't, I don't care. So he'll so, we'll be on the field tomorrow. Yeah. Tell us about the Champions League stuff. And we're supposed to, right? Uh, yeah. What about it? <laughs> I, I know who we're playing. What about uh, Davy? I mean, is he? Yeah, Davy. Davy's fine. Uh, but we'll see in preseason. You now we expect him to come to preseason. Evaluate him on a daily basis and see where he's at. Uh, but he seems to have had a, a good rest and uh, is is doing doing some running and, and making sure he's ready to go or ready you know ready to give this thing a go uh, once the preseason. But hits. you're expecting him to at least give it a go. I mean, whether he can do it. Listen, or not, it's yeah, yeah it's just, we're talking we're talking about Davy, right? So you know he's certainly going to come to preseason to to keep his spot and win a spot. That's what Davy does. Uh, you know, and at some point that stuff comes up again, and you know, he and we will have some decisions to make. But uh, you know, I think he, he, his mindset is set on play, um, and if he's healthy and ready to go, that's great for us. Got everything you were looking for today. And- yeah, we feel good about it. You know, we, we you know, there's two, two, two targets for us, um, both from a talent standpoint and areas of need. So uh, I, I walk away very happy. Any other moves coming? Today? No, I'm tired. I'm, <laughs> I've had the flu. I'm going home, man. I'm exhausted. Thanks, Benny. Good. Thank you. Well, uh, what's your experience today been? How, how do you feel about going to D.C. United? Oh, it's been awesome. I uh, didn't even know what a draft was four years ago. Um, so to be part of it now is something that's really great. Uh, uh, over the moon to be picked by DC United. It's a place that is awesome to be at, and I really had a lot of respect for the coaching staff and the style of play. Um, 
I was fortunate enough to meet with him during the combine and loved the guys and uh, had a really good experience speaking to them and um, really looking forward to getting started in preseason. Can't wait for Friday to come to get to DC. It's exciting. What's your playing style like for the for DC fans who maybe don't? Uh, I like to move the ball quickly, playing two three touches, um, get a ball switched from side to side, and uh, break up play where possible, and play forward and positively. And um, well, one thing I can promise is I'll. I'll leave my heart out on the field and I'll do everything I can on the field. So that's uh, my style of play is gutsy and hard working and everything else in that is pretty much it. What was your uh, just based on your experience dealing with DCU staff during the combine? Oh, it was awesome. There's uh, an interview and they had a, there's all the guys who were around filming an interview and got to kind of learn a little bit more about me and what gets me going, what motivates me. And um, I also got to learn a lot about them and to kind of feel that uh, that in, being in tune with the coaching staff is something that's really important and um, to have a coaching staff that are committed to, to excellence is something that I want to do as well and to be a part of that is something that's fantastic for me. Can't wait to get started. you got a preferred position you're talking about style. Yeah, uh, centre midfield. Um, I'll either play as a holding midfielder or a box-to-box midfielder. Um, anywhere I can get on the ball is great. Get on the ball as much as I can and work hard to break up play and uh, that's kind of what I'm excited to try and come in here and do. What do you know about DC as a city? Well, uh, my girlfriend actually lives in Richmond, which is not too far away, so I'm sure she'll be happy about this. Um, yeah, yeah, I know. I've I've seen as much. Um, I've not spent too much time in DC, um, but I've heard many great things. I some friends who went to Georgetown. You said it was a wonderful place, and uh, I'm excited to get up there. And uh, I'm over the moon. I can't wait to get inside. Thank you. Appreciate it. Played against Julian. Yeah, I did. I played against Julian three times this year. Um, we beat them once. Uh, they beat us once, and we beat them in PKs in the semi-final of the College Cup. Um, I've played against him. I have a lot of respect for him. Uh, we talk after the games a lot, and um, uh, I think I'll have to push up on my German to try and give him some banter. But he's a he's a great kid, and uh, I've enjoyed playing against him, and hopefully enjoy playing with him as well. So, in, in old podcasting tradition, we are. I am in the car now with Kevin McCauley from SBNation.com, and we are driving from Baltimore back to DC uh, after the Super Draft in what was certainly an eventful day. Um, and we're just gonna drive and break it down as best we can. Kevin, what do you think of the the show today? You were over in the the fan section, actually. Yeah, I I decided to not go as credentialed media for the the Super Draft. Uh, most of the the time that I'm spending at NSCA is actually reporting on an NWSL story. So I thought it would be uh, disingenuous of me to get media credentials and then just like hang out and uh, you know not actually cover the MLS draft because. Uh, I, I, we've we've both been in situations where like there's somebody in the press box or in an event where there's no interest in writing. Yeah, exactly. With no interest in writing about it, no interest in you know getting quotes, putting together a podcast, producing a video, just doing nothing. Like just just hanging out and being part of the club. And I hate those people. So if I hate those people, I can't be one of them. Right. So uh, I was hanging out in the fan section with uh, with Jason from the blog and. Uh, with some of the, the people from Screaming Eagles and some of the yeah, other... Donald was there, too, yes, on the blog. Yeah, some of the other team supporters groups. Yeah, so the, the first round, obviously, was was very eventful. The the sheet they passed out in the media area after the first round had to get pretty creative with the, the <laughs> yeah. footnote symbols. I think there was a stickman at one point beyond the, the usual asterisk, uh, plus sign, dollar sign, hash uh, sign 
they, they got pretty creative because there were a bunch of trades, and, and yeah. one of them obviously involved DC United trading up from. Well, they kept their 13th spot until they didn't. But originally, yeah, they, they didn't use their 13th pick to execute the trade up. Right. Basically. Yeah, they, they traded TAM, targeted allocation money, uh, to Sporting Kansas City, I think. To get the to get the pick to, to get up to number eleven because uh, so sidebar here uh, Rob after the the guy that Sporting Kansas City wanted with that pick uh, he got picked by another team and then Rob Heideman the CEO of Sporting KC tweeted out oh that was the guy I wanted <laughs> which I'm sure really helped their negotiating position um, and then predictably after he said oh that was the guy I wanted uh, they sold the pick yeah they sold it to DC United who chose Julian Bushers out of Syracuse. Who Ben Olsen, he says this every year, but there's really not been a reason to... Ben Olsen's a huge troll. Yeah, he's a huge troll, but this is one thing where it, at least it, he seems to have been honest. He says that was their guy all along. Um, he was at the very least one of their top targets, and, and they got him. He's a central midfielder, two-way player, grew up a defensive midfielder, played attacking last year at Syracuse. Um, looks to be a good fit for DC United, even if they change systems. So, so a couple really interesting things about this deal. Basically, that they didn't they didn't trade up. They did these two separate deals when they, they sold their 13th pick for targeted allocation money. And so really what they did is they spent a little bit of targeted allocation money to move up three spot, two spots. And move into the second round. Yeah. And they, they, they did it that way basically because, uh, you know, Sporting KC didn't want to trade down. They just wanted to sell their pick. Right. They had a, a guy in mind and they couldn't get him. So they decided to just get the, get the TAM. Yeah. Um, and Steve Goff, I think it was, reported that DC United got... Almost all of the TAM they spent for that pick back yeah, by so, selling the 13th pick to Orlando City. So they spent a very little amount. Yeah, it, it, it seems like a pretty good day of dealing for Dave Casper, which is usually the case on draft day. Like whenever you think of his international signings yeah. or the, the team's philosophy, he, he does well on draft yeah. days. So also of note from that from that dealing and dealing is that they did this to move up to, you know, they said it's their guy all along, but... Let's be real. They moved up to get a, the last GA guy. On yeah. Board. Basically, when there's one GA guy left, they made a move. Um, probably because if they can stand to, they would like to have an open roster spot and not not pay somebody. Yeah, that's. I mean, all things can being equal. That's a good situation to be in. And like, I, I made a joke on Twitter about like, oh yeah, DC United traded up for the free guy, and you know, we all had a laugh. But I think it's it's more about the roster spot. Yeah. With getting a with getting a GA guy, I think that's a really a really big thing and with the you know the salary cap because joke about DC United not having any money being cheap but they're going to spend at the salary cap right so yeah, it's, I mean, it's no a really so it's a really helpful thing for them to to get a GA guy out of the draft something that we didn't think they were going to be able to do yeah especially down at number 13 even at number 11 you don't expect there to necessarily be a generation Adidas guy left uh, Jason Anderson who all our listeners know from the show uh, made a good point early on it was all Generation Adidas and fullbacks for the first several picks. Yeah. And that's because Generation Adidas guys are free and don't take up a senior roster spot. And fullbacks are generally a safe bet. You were making this point. Fullbacks are a safe bet in the draft where it's it's generally a low-risk yeah, proposition. Because in the league, there's very few really good fullbacks in the league. But if you have to think like of most of the, the totally decent fullbacks, most of them are high draft picks. Yeah. And that's where they where they came from, as opposed to, you know, international signings or you know like Boomer Bust, you know, late round picks, uh, homegrowns, whatever. Most of the decent fullbacks in the league are high draft picks. 
So it totally makes sense that it went that way, but it's still pretty incredible that uh, there was a gen- generation Adidas guy that fell that far. Um, there's something Ben Olsen also said about Hoosier's uh, likely position that we thought was pretty funny. Yeah, he... This is Ben Olsen, I think, being a troll and just obfuscating for the sake of it. Because uh, he also made a joke about how if it was up to him, he would tell the reporters, he would tell them everything about injuries and anything. He might make it up, but he would tell them. <laughs> that, was a, that was a great quote. But he, he said that, that Julian Bouchers can play deep line, he can play out on the wing, or he can play as a number 10. And a lot of people which seem to be which focusing he on a little, the number 10. He did a little bit of for, for Syracuse. Right. But uh, doing we, it in the Big East and doing it in MLS are different things. And we've, we've seen a lot of times guys who are number 10s in college move back in the pros. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think we all know, just based on the way the roster's made up right now, that, that, that seems highly unlikely. Yeah, even if they do switch to a, you know, if they switch to a 4-2-3-1, it'd have to be a really kind of deep... Uh, deep line four two three one to to make it work unless Colin Martin has a big jump this winter and wants that number ten spot and even then you don't have an, a natural spot for both of your best attacking players Chris Rolfe and, and yeah. Fabian Spindolo so it's 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 going to be an interesting preseason I think just figuring out how DC United wants to play because there's another segment our our listeners will hear where where Charlie Bowman and Travis Clark, who both want DC United to play a more progressive style, yeah. say that they think that the roster doesn't really fit a four four two anymore. And there, there's a point to be had there. I don't know if I agree with it 100, percent but there's there's definitely reason I, to think that. I get their assertion that the the roster as a whole might not exactly fit a four four two, and that's real because really because of the loss of Kitchen, right? You know, he's a guy who covered so much ground and did so many different jobs that you could get away with playing a two-man midfield against a three when Kitchen was on his game. But you still have this problem where Espindola had a, had a decent season last year as a DP, is expected to still be a good player next year. And then Rolf, who is this like in this weird spot where he's not really a winger, he's not really a striker, he's not really a number 10, he's a very specific like second, second striker. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, in my opinion, he's their best player. Yeah. With Kitchen gone. So... I think, I think I think you have to build the team around him unless unless you're going to do a gut job and like totally remake the roster. Right. I think honestly, I think the answer might be a Y-shaped midfield right now with with Boucher's in the center if he turns out to be good enough to to handle that. Otherwise, yeah. otherwise I don't know who's playing that spot. Maybe Nick DeLeon is playing that spot. In it's really a box to box role, but it's yeah the, the center point of the attack. And at Nick DeLeon Nick DeLeon's another weird like specific player where. He's not a midfielder. He's not a winger. He's like very much the like shuttler kind of guy. Yeah, exactly. And if we ran a diamond, he would be perfect for that outside midfield role. But but we don't play a diamond, and we don't have the pieces with Nagel and Niarko looking like our wingers, and they are wingers. Yeah, you don't they're you not, don't you don't not, sign Nagel and Niarko unless you're playing row wingers. Yeah, exactly. And and that's where they're going to play. So assuming that's the case, and knowing that DC United needs someone to line up with Halsty in the center of the park. It looks like it's going to be De Leon or Bushers playing that spot right now, as of today. Yeah, if so, I had to guess, that would be my prediction for how DC United lines up. So I'm not really tuned into the kind of the transfer signing rumors for DC United, like uh, like you and the other guys at the blog might be. Have there been any any rumors about central midfielders? That I mean, we talked a little bit in uh, in our chat room about number tens that we've heard about. Right. But so we have, I haven't heard much about any like central midfield rumor signings. Right. There's unnamed players player or players from uh, Ligue 1 in France, mm-hmm. uh, 
who seem that the rumors, at least the speculation, seems to be that's probably a number six. Okay. Possibly a replacement for Halstein. Which makes sense. Um, the other is there's a specific name out of Argentina, a guy uh, who plays for Estudiantes down there, uh, named Leonardo Gill, who's a 24-year-old, I think. He, yeah, and he's a box-to-box And he's a right? box-to-box guy. He, some media reports have called him a playmaker, and really he I don't seems... Think so. He, he's a much deeper line guy. At best, at the most attacking, he's a number eight. But he tracks back a lot. You look at his sizzle reel. There's a lot of interceptions in his own half that he makes and then turns the attack yeah. from there. He's, which he is, seems like a counterattacking really number eight, which is perfect for DC United. No, that's what DC United needs more than anything else. So if, if United signs him, and then you, you have to figure out how to get which one of... Nagel, Miarco, and De Leon you benched on the outside, and which one of Bouchers and Gill you benched in the middle? That's yeah. not a bad position to be in, in MLS. So I know literally nothing about the second round pick. Uh, he's an English guy named uh, Paul Klaus, and that is not how I would have pronounced his last name if I had seen it written <laughs> down. Um, and it was really funny, and Stephen Streff noticed this, that the pronunciation guide was no help at all because it was just his last name in all caps. <laughs> C-L-O-W-E-S is how you pronounce his name. It's like, is that Close? Is that Clowes? Apparently it's Close. It's, apparently it's Close. That's how, that's how Dan Cordemach pronounced it on the stage, and nobody corrected it. So I, I'm calling him Paul Klaus for now. He's uh, an English guy from, from Cheshire who went to Clemson, I think, for four years. Uh, really a number six. Deep-line guy. He called himself a holding midfielder. He said he likes to play one-touch, two-touch, three-touch soccer mm-hmm. uh, and keep the ball moving and get vertical. And that, that Ben Olsen said the same thing. Um, best dress guy at the draft. Yeah, that's right. He had that really baller suit. Yeah, it was an awesome suit. Like, it looked like from the first season of Mad Men is <laughs> honestly what it looked like. Really well-tailored, really good wool material. It, it was a badass suit, and his shoes were kicking. It was... He was really well dressed without being flashy about it. That's the thing. Like it was a really subtle suit. The, yeah, the English usually are too. The, the English usually aren't too flashy. They're yeah, nice. they're just classy. Yeah, he was all right. So since he's from the north of England, I, I would say that he's a factory owner's son up there. Like he was, he was gentry with that suit. It was awesome. I was really impressed with that, and you know, he said all the right things in the interview as well. Um, ben Olsen, you know, was a little bit cagey because he's Ben Olsen about how Klaus would fit in to the team. Yeah. And, and it, it, the guy's definitely got an earning roster spot. He's not under contract with the league right now. So it's it's going to come down to how he shows in in uh, in preseason. And, and at dinner afterward, before we left, Jason made the point that it's probably down to, as far as he goes, a roster spot between him and Jared Jeffrey. One of them's going to get the spot, and the other one is going to end up in an ASL next year. Well, and... There's a, there's a chance that neither of them make it if there's uh, you know a couple signings in the center of midfield. Yeah, absolutely. Which is not Especially possible. Especially deep midfield, and if Halsty sticks around, and we also sign a guy from Ligue 1, there's definitely not room for both. Uh, maybe not even either of them. Yeah, exactly. So the uh, the funniest thing at the draft I thought was when they they get up there to introduce Harrison, the the first overall pick uh, for the fire. Um, except everybody knew he wasn't going to the fire. Right, um, because we we knew that that of the of the guys that the fire was looking at, nobody was, was saying that Harrison was the guy they were interested in. Um, and I think it was like Parchment on Twitter said zero chance fire used this pick. So they go right. live on Sports Center. They use the pick. He goes up there with the fire scarf. It's really funny. Everybody knows it's BS. Um, 
and then they announced that they announced that the fire traded for the fourth overall pick. Don't say it's for you know it's a pick they don't swap. Don't say anything. Clear to They just say Chicago Fire have traded for the fourth pick, and then Garber gets back up there again. Uh, they've traded it for you know. Money, money, getting... money and a player to be named later, yeah. and we all know that Harrison is the player to be named later. Garvey gets up there again. We just want to clarify that the reason we say a player to be named later is because, you know, we want to be able to inform them. We don't want them to find out on TV. As if Jack Harrison isn't 50 feet from him. Right. Like, and and, and because, him. because MLS, number one, MLS players have never been found out about a trade through media instead of being told <laughs> in their face. And number two, we're at a draft where players are literally learning their, where they're going. Yeah. Because someone announces it. <laughs> okay, but again, he's in the room. Yeah. He's, he's right there. Like, Garber can see him. He can just look as off screen. As, he's saying, say, as he's saying this, he's, yeah, as he's saying, oh, well, we have to be able to inform the players. We don't want... He's looking at Jack Harrison. <laughs> like, just tell him. Tell him what's up. Tell him on the mic. Be entertaining for us. So then I think that, God, they must have got through like eight or nine picks before they actually said that, that Harrison was going to New York. Yeah. And it was funny. I pulled other guys in the, the press row. And all three uh, of our guy, of the guys from Open Wide for some soccer, good guys, all based in DC, uh, Pablo, Thomas, and Seth. They all three of them, without knowing the other ones, had said this: said Harrison is going to NYC with the first pick. No, and that's or no, sorry, they all said Harrison going to the Fire with the first pick, and they ended up being right, but not necessarily for the right reason. Um, Jonathan Tannenwald nailed it essentially yeah. effectively. Who's the who's Harrison the, is going to NYC? Who's the the left back that Chicago took before? Brandon Vincent. Yeah, and there was there was some talk that they were gonna just like reach for Vincent and take him. If right, they... and there was like people were speculating that he could go number one, especially because the fire didn't see Yarrow as a center back. Well, that was the thing; and they, they didn't like him as a fullback either. Yeah, so. so they basically they they needed both. They need everything. They suck. Um, but for this is the dumbest thing. We need to talk about Josh Yarrow in this. Like we do. Yeah, this is so this is so stupid to me that we we look at this guy who's. Five foot, who's five foot eleven, who played center back throughout college, and who recorded the highest vertical at the combine, and yet we have this. Oh, we don't know. If he's, he's not good, big enough. We don't know if he's good enough in the air to play to play center back. What the? F- yeah. Come on. Yeah, it's so stupid. It's dumb, especially if you have a, a big center back to make you feel better. Like if you want a big slow guy to pair with him, that's that's your business. But he's got all like I, I hate to sound like we're coming from a draft, but we are. He's got all the tools. No, he's, there, he's there's a smart nothing. Kid. He's, there, there's no reason to think he won't be successful as a center back. There's nothing that Yarrow doesn't have other than two inches of height, and right. and you know, like he has the wrong number. So, at the so, beginning of his so height. obviously, ca- caveat to all of this uh, in soccer, even more so than other sports, the physical tools matter what much less than the than the brain yeah. and uh, and the technical skills. So if you don't have that, you don't have that, and if you you know either you can play soccer, or you can't, and the physical stuff doesn't matter, but. You know, in this specific conversation, we are talking about physical stuff, right? Especially the, because the, in, the, the knock on him is he's not big enough, and the the counter to that is he can jump out the gym. Yeah. So who cares? Well, and his anticipation is off the charts for a college center back. His ability to hit long diagonals into the stride of his teammates is downright Central European. It's also stupid that they didn't, they didn't like him as a right back because he's not terrible at crossing. No, it's, it, considering he's really never played the position and, at any high level, and, and just he like played the way it at the combine and looked, you know, he didn't look great. No one's going to say he looked great, but he didn't look incompetent. But either. like his and his body type and like the way he, he he moves, like there's no reason to think that he wouldn't, you know, be able to play as a right back. Yeah, 
So I don't get. I think he's. I think he's going to play center back. Having said that, but you know, if you look at him and say, "Oh, he's he doesn't have. He's not a not a technically good enough, good enough crosser. Doesn't have the the right kind of like you know can't turn fast enough to play right back, but he's not big enough to be a center back. It's just dumb." Yeah, and the Philadelphia Union drafted him with the number two overall, which they traded up to get or traded into, I should say, because yeah, they get rid of their other picks. They have three, they have three picks, picks in the top in the, six. Yeah, and they used two of them on Hoyas, which, as the guy who graduated from Georgetown at one point in my life, that you know, seeing two Hoyas go second and third is interesting. The other if, one's a left back, right? Uh, the other one's left back. Yeah, uh, Keegan, who. Uh, it was probably a stretch at that point. It's a bit of a reach to take him number three, especially over Brandon Vincent. No, I think he's a right. He is a right back. Okay, he's a right back. He's a right back. Um, but still, taking a fullback that's not named Brandon Vincent when Brandon Vincent's on the board is an interesting choice. And that's Philadelphia Union for him. New management, same old team. Yeah, and then their with their sixth pick, they took uh, kind of a Gerber's kind of a box to box. Uh, some yeah. midfielder guy who can score some goals. Yeah, Fabian Herbers, who uh, GA guy originally from Germany, but. Um, Grew up basically in the Dutch system, the Dutch youth system, uh, because he, not the national team, but Dutch clubs, because he lived right on the border there. Went to Creighton, has apparently the most powerful shot yeah. among, among the class this year, and also considered a smart guy, uh, a forward in DC United, or Jason in the SB Nation mock draft. Somehow Herbers fell to us at number 13, and Jason took him there with a big, big grin on his face. Yeah. Uh, knowing is, that he would never fall that far, and he didn't even fall half that far yeah. in the real draft. So you got any other takeaways, things that stuck out to you? Um, mostly, apparently, it's that I stick out. Stories from the press row. Yeah, stories from the press row. I, I, I got to play a game all day that I call Dodge the MLS Head Coach. <laughs> That's right. we got to talk about that. <laughs> um, so when you're in the press row, they there's a very narrow passage from the draft room through the the three tables of press out, that are out in the room and into the back room where they take all the pictures and do interviews and where all the video people are editing and sound people are editing. And when they're going, when anyone's going through that space, everyone is running into everyone. And I, I got to learn which MLS coaches are really good at manipulating space like a soccer player <laughs> and which ones aren't. Um, Dom Kinnear, uh, was the first one, and I lost this round of Dodge ZMLS head coach terribly because he came up behind me and had to, like, nudge me out of the way. He just tapped me on the shoulder, said, excuse That's me. That's dumb. He was a physical defender. Was very polite, and he just pushed me out of his way. Didn't think about it, was very polite about it. but That's, just That fits who he was as a player. That fits exactly who he was as a player. Jim Curtin is way worse at dodging people than I am. He, he would be, like, on a beeline, and you'd make a step to get out of his way, and he would turn towards you. Which is weird. You'd think based on that that uh, Jim Curtin would be like an out-and-out striker, but he was not. No, he he was just and did not fully understand how to use the space in front of him. <laughs> basically, uh, Jesse Marsh, on the other hand, you couldn't get near him if you wanted to very run into him. Very intelligent central midfielder, Jesse Marsh. Really, really good in tight spaces. Yeah. If you wanted to run into him, you couldn't do it. He was just wherever he was. There was a pocket of space around him that just floated with him, and it wasn't because like he has a presence about him when he's in a room. I, I'll say that he, you, you see him, you notice him, you want to talk to him, and you just can't get to him because yeah. he just has this aura around him where there's just a bubble around him at all times that no one seems to be able to penetrate unless he wants you to. Yeah, this it's is really impressive. This reminds me that a Jesse Marsh story. Uh, this is a Jeff, Jesse Marsh and Ben Olsen story. Uh, <laughs> I went to, I think this would have been 2011, I went to the Carolina Challenge Cup, okay. and um, 
DC United and uh, Charleston Battery were the late game. And then uh, I don't remember who the Fire were playing in the early game. But there were like. But Marsh was still playing at this point. Yeah, Marsh is still playing. He's the captain of Chicago Fire. Um, or, no, I'm sorry. I, I screwed that up. Um, I'm thinking of Logan Paws, not Jesse Marsh. Uh-huh. I mixed them up in my head. I screwed that up. They're both they're both slightly older. <laughs> they're they're both tough tackling defensive midfielders. Yeah. And I just realized I didn't know that I had this thing cuz you'll you'll know that if there's like two athletes, two singers whatever, mm-hmm. and you'll you'll know that you always think one is the other one. Yeah. I just learned that I have that with Jesse Marsh <laughs> and Logan Paz. I I have that with Jesse Marsh and Jay Heaps as coaches. As as coaches it makes more sense. It wouldn't make sense as players. No. But as coaches, I always get them wrong. I had to think three times. Like, I meant Jesse Marsh, not Jay Heaps. Yeah, there's uh, a but very, you mean Logan Paws. Very little difference between Logan Paws and uh, Jesse Marsh. Well, I think you should tell the story anyway. <laughs> since we've already started since it. Since we've already started it. I was at this game, and there's like there's like five people in the stands. And, uh, because everyone, the only people who go to this tournament are Charleston, Charleston fans, fans, DC United fans. Yeah, so there's like there's no Chicago Fire fans there. So I'm just sitting next to Ben Olsen in the stands. I'm not even there as media. I'm just there, as, there for the hell of it. And um, Logan Paws makes, like, the worst, awful, like, from behind, two-foot tackle, high over the ball. Like, could have broken somebody's leg. It was just the worst. Red card in five different ways. So instead of walking to the locker room, uh, Logan Paws decides to walk up to the press box. Which <laughs> there's no, like, there's, like, separate, like, you just have to walk through the bleachers to get right. to the press box. So Logan Paws walks to the bleachers, walks up past me and Ben Olsen, and Ben just goes, dude, I thought it was clean. <laughs> <laughs> the worst tackle I've ever seen in my life. So there's, is, does, does that go under Ben Olsen's a troll? Ben Olsen's trying to make a guy it was, who it he's was, known forever feel better? No, it was very classic Ben Olsen's a troll. <laughs> like, they, they both knew, because Ben Olsen is the same kind of player. Yeah. Like, they both knew how bad that tackle was. Yeah. And so that's, that was kind of like the uh, the brotherhood of the tough tackling defensive <laughs> midfielders. Like, clean tackle. <laughs> he walked away from it. You're fine. <laughs> yeah, the guy didn't break his leg. <laughs> so today I learned that I think Logan Paz and Jesse Marsh are the opposite of each other. <laughs> they, they are, in fact. They are. They, I mean, to be fair, have you ever seen the two of them in the same room at the same time? No, I haven't. I saw Jesse Marsh today, but I did not see Logan Paul anywhere. Yeah, I saw Jesse Marsh everywhere. I know you and Jason saw uh, John Harks everywhere. Um, <laughs> I saw John Harks. I told you where I saw it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna disparage uh, John Harks on this show publicly, but uh, John Harks did something that was rude today. <laughs> I'm just gonna say that. I'm not gonna tell the story. But, and it's the one time a year he gets to he gets to. Yeah, no, I, I think I I tweeted something that was like I would do it too. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you got to do that once a year, I, I think that's fair. I'm yeah. not gonna I'm not gonna hold it. John John Harks is in the one place uh, where he is super famous and everybody knows him, and he took full advantage. <laughs> uh, what else today before we we sign off and I focus on traffic? A more? <laughs> yeah, we've we've. We were doing this while there was not a lot of traffic, and now we've hit a point where there's actually We've hit traffic. the Beltway. Um, we've hit 495, and so it's a little bit more uh, harrowing driving. I think you're south here. Yeah, I'm okay. south. Yeah, I want yeah to we're, we're, so, we're talking through the exits that we have to get off here <laughs> on this podcast. So um, I I left the, the MLS draft for a little bit because uh, fun American soccer organization thing here. There was, a, there was a panel of NWSL coaches that was not on the schedule. <laughs> So I find out about it like 30 minutes before it starts. I see somebody tweet that's like, oh, hey, this thing is today. Would have been nice to know about it. It's on the NSCAA schedule. I was like, oh, well, 
if it's there, I'm going to... You cover NWSL. You yeah, so the, the primary reason that I'm at NSCA is not for MLS, but to, I'm reporting on an NWSL story. So I was like, oh, well, I definitely have to go to this. <laughs> it's just like, just also Twitter. It's like eight people from women's soccer Twitter. Yeah, so there were so <laughs> and it four was, coaches. Yeah, so it was it was Jim Guevara, Mark Parsons, Laura Harvey, and uh, Tom Sermani were the panel, and then Vlaco was just it's in the back. Strong panel. I don't cover women's soccer, and that I know that's a strong. No, it was, panel. it was a really good panel, and then uh, Vlaco, the Casey coach, was just in the back trolling, <laughs> and they they kept trying to get him to to come up and join the panel, and he was just like nope, and just like <laughs> screwing with them from the back, and then there was the only media there was just like. Uh, if you if you're uh, you know also nerd on Twitter, just like those people, right? And there's nobody else there because it was uh, it wasn't advertised. Like if it was on the on the schedule, there would have been you know 50 people in the room, but they neglected to put it on the schedule. So uh, that was fun. Uh, everybody had some really fun things to say, and uh, I'm I'm happy that Jingo Bar has come home, and I think he is too. He talked about how he used to have to drive, you know. He maintained his residence in Maryland and have to drive all the way to New Jersey for his job. And uh, I think he's very happy with the, the change of scenery. Yeah, I'll bet. Sorry, I'm merging now, so I'm not going to give a transition. We are safely off the Beltway, listeners. You don't have to worry about our safety anymore, except we are still driving in Maryland, which is generally dangerous. Maryland drivers are... You were joking earlier that uh, I didn't know that backing into a parking spot was on the Maryland driving yeah, test. Yeah, I've heard that somewhere. I, I don't know. I never took the Maryland driving test, but I have heard that from multiple people. And if you've lived in D.C. Or, or Maryland, you know that backing into a parking space, especially in a crowded parking lot, is is a favorite pastime in the Mid-Atlantic region. And apparently it's because it's on the, the driving test. And I, I think it may actually be the entirety yeah, the entire Maryland driving test is can you back this car into this spot? Sorry to the Take listeners. Take as many chances as you need. <laughs> Sorry to the listeners who are, are Maryland born and bred residents, but y'all can't drive. Yeah, there's a really good chance you <laughs> suck at driving. I'm really sorry. good chance. I love you guys. You, I don't. Some of them, it's a some Maryland drivers. I'm sure it's a it's a spatial awareness thing. I went to a grocery <laughs> store. I just went to a grocery store in Maryland, uh, like a Wegmans in PG County. And my ankles got run over by shopping carts three different times in one grocery store trip, <laughs> all in the same store. And it's it's Wegmans. It's big. There's lots of room. And people were just, like, running into me. Oh, they, they were all polite and apologized afterward. But it was I, unbelievable. I don't know if having one border be really straight and the other one be really not. Yeah. This is with their, their just spatial reasoning skills or what. But, man, it was rough. <laughs> So do we have anything else that we have to talk about, or do we just want to we want to close this out on being rude to Maryland people? I, uh, you know, Jason's not here, so I'm comfortable closing it out being rude to, to Marylanders. All right, well, there well, you go. Yeah, thank you guys for listening. We'll throw it back to the uh, back to me in the studio, I guess. Uh, thank you all for listening this week, and thank you to Russ Thaler. Uh, Julian Buescher, Paul Klaus, Ben Olson, Travis Clark, Charlie Bohm, Kevin McCauley for lending their voices to this week's episode. And of course, thank you to my co-hosts, Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. Uh, find us at blackandredunited.com. Find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes. Find us on Stitcher. Find us on SoundCloud. Mostly, though, tell a friend about us. That's 
that's the best thing you can do for us. It would make us very, very happy. We will talk to you real soon. Uh, For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason.